Welcome to the Polaris PT Podcast. Join us as we dive into all aspects of health and wellness, from physical and mental to relationships and spirituality with leading experts and luminaries from a broad spectrum of specializations. I'm your host, Dr. Brig Woods, performance physical therapist and owner of Polaris PT and Wellness. On the podcast today, I have Ziad Dadul. Ziad is a doctor of physical therapy, owner of Ignite Physio in LA. He's a board certified orthopedic clinical specialist, SFMA level one certified. He's a functional range conditioning mobility specialist, and above all, he is an ACL rehabilitation expert. So without further ado, welcome Ziad to the podcast. Z. Welcome, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. I know it took a little bit of doing and some scheduling. You're a busy dude, but I appreciate you being here. Yeah, I'm sorry about that snafu we had, but I'm glad we made it work. No, no, it's all good. And for those of you guys that don't maybe know, Z and I, same graduating class from USC. Z has gone on to do some really awesome things. Tell me about, you just went and spoke at this conference. Like, that's a yeah, big deal. So, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went to the National Athletic Training Association conference. And so they... Uh, one of my good friends, Jamie Potter, she's the uh, athletic trainer here at Cal State Fullerton, and she um, she's part of programming there. She asked me to come by and talk about uh, ACL rehab and using BFR for it. So I went and did like a little lecture and lab there for uh, two hours. It was great. It was really awesome being able to collaborate with other other clinicians. Cause, like, we talk to PTs all the time, but it's really cool to be able to you know, bump heads and kind of chop it up with other other clinicians that are seeing athletes and doing really cool things. So it was, it was really awesome. It was a good talk. It was uh Got to explore Philly a little bit, which was cool. Have cheesesteaks, which was always great. So, so who's so who is was it? Who's the the two? There's two, right? Jim, Jim's from South. Jim's on South. That's the that's the best one. Which one? Jim's I, on South it. Street. Okay, I'll, that, I'll that, take that, your that word place, for that it. That place is amazing. Uh, so yeah, that was one of my favorite things about when I first started working at Physio in Tempe. They've got this. Did you ever come down with like I saw Burn? Burn would come down for spring training. They would do all the angels. Um, I never, I never came down and did that. No. Okay. So Dr. Yoakum, right. He was there in LA. Yes. Right. Yeah. So Dr. Yoakum had a relationship with uh, Keith Coker, who was at the place that I was at. And so they would send all of a lot of the, the they had, we had a whole side of the clinic. It was a 30,000 foot facility, 30,000 square foot facility. Yeah, that's a big boy. And it was uh, there was one whole half of it that was devoted exclusively to like pro, pro base, pro and college baseball, and other pro athletes. Like I remember passing Brian Urlacher in the in the hall one day. He's not baseball, but like that was Doesn't wild. Matter. You'd 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 show up on some days and there'd be like Lambo, G wagon. Like there was all these dudes just hanging out. But the cool part was being able because they had a couple athletic trainers on staff. You had physical therapists and everybody kind of working together and definitely learned a lot from, Yeah, I've learned a ton from athletic trainers over the years. Dude, they're, they're super sharp, man. And like the, the, their ability to be able to manage multiple people at once and be very resourceful at the same time. Like there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of benefit to being around like really kick-ass athletic trainers. There's a lot that we can learn from them for sure. Oh, hundred percent. We'll do. So blood flow restriction is super interesting and it's a hot, like, it's one of those things I, I see, at least I feel like I'm seeing more and more like bro science becoming real science, right? Like it's kind of school, true. Yeah. Like old school bodybuilders, right. Used to like wrap tourniquets and there was no like science behind it. There's like, I just get a massive pump, dude. My muscles get bigger when I like do this. And then lo and behold, right. They're like producing 
human growth hormone, reducing myostatin and like all this other stuff. So are you, I know you're big Owens recovery science. Like, is, have you just gone to that course or are you like certified now as an instructor? Are you like, no, I actually went to the course and, um, I just, I just love the device. I mean, I've tried the other devices and it's just, to me, there's just no comparison. It's just the, the amount of pump that you get and the, and the amount of um, occlusion that you get and, and being able to maintain it throughout the entire movement pattern is like, it's, it's unmatched by any other device. And so uh, I tried a couple of them out. I took the course. One of my good buddies, Kyle Kimbrell is like one of their instructors and, uh, and their, their research, they're, they're kind of the head of research. So like they're, they're at the forefront of all of this. And so to be able to have access to the people that are doing the majority of the research for this topic, like it's pretty amazing because, because BFR, like you said, it's not, it's been around for a long time, but it hasn't been this well studied for a long time. So we're learning like things every year that comes out where we're learning more applications to it. We have ways to modify and change it. Um, I just think that for us with our population and having seeing a lot of, you know, po- you know, people post ACL, seeing a lot of people post labrum, rotator cuff, Tommy John, um, we see a pretty good amount of post-ops. And um, I just think it's a game changer in post-op rehab. I, the, the amount of um, the, the, the decrease in the amount of atrophy and then that, that latency period that somebody has for that first couple of months where they just really get, they really get weak and lose a lot of muscle size and a lot of, uh, and a lot of muscle strength. Like, that we're just seeing that kind of like not not go away, but it's just reduced so significantly. It's pretty unbelievable. Yeah. So for people who don't really know like what we're talking about, what is I mean, what is blood flow restriction? Yeah. So like on a foundational level, essentially, it's like you put this cuff around either your the upper part of your leg or the upper part of your arm, and you re- restrict blood flow from going down into the limb, and you restrict all the blood flow from coming back up. So what you do is you basically just create this pooling effect that happens below the level of the cuff. And essentially what you're doing is you're recreating an environment that you would normally only get if you were doing heavy resistance training. So we talk in like one rep max uh, terminology, right? So it's like you only have to train at 20 to 30% of your one rep max to be able to replicate kind of very similar demands that you would get if you were training at 80, 90 or hundred percent of your one rep max. And so the idea is when somebody can't load, a joint because of surgical uh, intervention or because of, you know, precautions or because of an injury, you use this device to be able to recreate the same physiologic effects that happen when you're doing heavy resistance training without having to actually do that. So, yeah, I've been, I've been doing a lot of that for my, for my bicep tendon after Mm -hmm. having surgery. But so the question that I've always kind of had, I've I've been down the rabbit hole a little bit, but not sure that I'm quite got the answer. Now I know that obviously it's helping reduce hypertrophy or can help improve right hypertrophy with reduced loads but does that does that necessarily affect the same do you get the same tensile gains in the tendon that you would get otherwise i'm not 100 percent sure to answer that question my my gut would tell me that you don't to the same right. effect, because I don't think BFR, you can talk to anybody who studies it and does it. It's, it's not, a, it doesn't replace it. You can't replace actual like load to a tendon and to tissue. I think it's right. more of just like a, a, this is a way to be able to supplement it when you can't do it. Yeah. But I do, but I do think because of the, the, the ability to contract the muscle and you're still getting, um, a, you're still being able to actually like load the muscle tissue, even though you're not loading it to the same extent that you would. Otherwise, with with normal resistance training, I still think you are getting some, but I don't know that you can replicate the same amount that you would get by being able to just load tissue and load joints. Yeah, and that's maybe a question. Do you do you have have you communicated? Do you know Trent Nestler at all? I know the name. I, I don't know him personally. 
so he's so Trent. I only reason I know him is because I followed him. He's uh, his handle is BJJ PT ACL guy. So he's you know he's an AC, another ACL expert, but he goes around instructing on blood flow restriction and like researching it and stuff. And I just took a shot in the dark and reached out to him pre surgery and was asking like if I could pay him to consult with him and stuff and see because you know uh, he seems to be the guy that I know that or follow that is doing actual research on, yeah. on this stuff. And, you know, he, he pointed me, he was very nice, was communicated with me, told me he'd be willing to jump on a call and stuff, but pointed me towards a, uh, I'll have to send it over to you. It's a podcast episode about a guy who was a Brazilian, Brazilian jiu-jitsu player who um, had the same exact same distal biceps, tendon rupture and repair and was back on the mat getting arm barred at like nine weeks, 10 weeks. Crazy. So, yeah, so I, it's one of those things where I'm like, ah, I still need to look at it, but yeah, you're right. It's not a replacement, but it definitely helps reduce some of the level of atrophy. So and do I you, an underrated oh, aspect of it too, is like when you know, you know what it's like when you start to, you know, dealing with this injury yourself, like, you know what it's like once you start get, getting back into doing more, how much recovery is important to you. And I think that is super important. And an underrated aspect of it is that you can use it as maintenance as well as you get back to your sport or your activity or whatever it is to be able to still get the, the, the ability to keep your muscles strong and to stay loaded through the area without having to actually load the joints or load the tissue or whatever the case may be. So I, I like using it a lot with our athletes. Like if they're in the middle of a season and they've been throwing a bunch, we just strap it on their arm and we either do the ischemic preconditioning or we'll just do some like a low level strengthening session to be able to do some arm care stuff, but do it in a way where we're not overloading their, their joints and their tissue. Yeah. Well, and so, you know, when you've got guys, I mean, do you ever get guys right after surgery that are, that have got to be immobilized? Like the, yeah. any of the surgeries you're seeing now, do you hook them up to the other? Like, do you hook them up just for sort of systemic stuff? Like, so for example, I was doing, I, my, my thought was, Hey, if it helps increase human growth, if HGH, right. Production or growth hormone production in the body, like why not just throw it on? Cause I was supposed to be more or less immobile with my arm. Yeah. I was like, why not just throw it on my legs and ride the bike? hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a definite systemic benefit to being able to just use it as a whole or just using it on the, on the contralateral side and being able to get those effects there too. Cause we are seeing that they're, they're seeing some promising stuff, either proximal to the cuff or uh -huh. using it on the contralateral side to be able to create, still create the systemic effect. It may not be to the same extent, but you're still getting a systemic effect that happens even when you don't use it on the direct area. For sure. So with, I mean, ACL, I know that's kind of, that's your niche, man. Like you, you are the, you're the ACL. You know, we heard about guys that were gurus back in school. I, I would say, dude, Z you're an ACL guru. Now I'm going to, I'm going to give you the guru title. I, I appreciate that, but that doesn't exist. We just, we just <laughs> see a lot of them. <laughs> so, but dude, but here's the thing. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at your, your profile right now. I mean, 41,000 followers and you didn't buy those. Those are all organic, right? So obviously what you're doing is working. And I think I've even looked through and talked to you and you've seen people like in Portugal virtually, right? Is Israel? Yeah. Israel and, and you know, South Asia, America. Yeah. Place, yeah. Right. And so, you know, so yeah, I'd say you're, you're kind of an expert and that's all a lot of your content is predominantly ACL stuff. So how did you, how did you fall? Not necessarily fall, but how did you end up 
so deeply engrossed in ACL? Yeah, like I'm a little non-traditional because like I didn't have an injury myself. Like I didn't tear my ACL and then just develop this love and passion for it. I, you know, when I was in the middle of before I started my own practice and I was working at the, my previous employer, like, you know, we saw a lot of ACLs and I kind of gave me a little bit of an insight when you work in a traditional PT model where that's one community that just does not get it does not get the treatment and does not get the care that they deserve. And I think like especially early on in the process, like not being able to have guidance because you talk to anybody who's gone through the ACL rehab process, they'll tell you there's a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot of mystery. Like you don't know what to expect, especially if it's the only time you've ever gone through it. And, um, you know, so basically like I started seeing more and more of them and I started to say like, there's probably more that we can do for these people that we're not already doing for them. And so um, we just got an influx of them for a couple of years. And then when I got into my own practice, it's something that I really enjoyed. I actually missed it because, because you know, at the beginning, I didn't see a lot of ACLs when I first started my practice. And then slowly, like little by little, we started to see more and more of them. And um, it's just one of those things where I just developed more and more of a passion for it. It was a community that was very underserved. And then I, I and then once I started to decide to do kind of more of the social media side of things and really double down on it on, on Instagram, um, a lot of it came from the fact that I got questions all the time. And it was a lot of the same questions over and over again about when can I start running and what, is it normal for me to feel this? And you start to realize how little guidance people have. And so it was, it's really nice to just be a resource for people. So we, we answer questions all the time where people just will, will DM us and just say, Hey, I got this going on. If I can't answer it, I'll tell them I can't answer it because, you know, whatever, for whatever reasons, like I'm not going to give somebody medical advice through the, through our DMs, but at the right. same time, it's like to be able to be a resource for people. And if you can give them like that, what little 1% of certainty about something where they would have been worrying and, and, and really concerned about it. Otherwise, I think it's a win. And a lot of people see our stuff and our content and, and it resonates with them because it's stuff that they're dealing with and maybe stuff that they're not getting with their physio on their end as well. Yeah. And with that, was there any courses or anything that you sort of like went to that you thought like were beneficial or was it, has it all just been, Hey, I'm going to comb research papers. I'm going to look at this stuff and just sort of decide for myself. This is sort of how I'm going to treat people based off the literature. Yeah. In terms of like how we approach our, you know, return to sport, return to running, our staged approach, like our criteria based approach to rehab, a lot of that is based off of the research and what the research guides us on. Because um, I, I, you know, we've gotten away. We don't really do anything related to time anymore. A lot of it is more related to just checking off criterion boxes and making sure they're hitting milestones along the way. But in terms of like how we treat our clients, like both, um, you know, Abraham Sanchez and myself, like, we, you know, we both are very big students of what we do. And so like we are, we're constantly, in, whether it's watching other professionals and the things they do, there's really no courses that we've taken. ACL study day has some great stuff that they've done where they, they bring a lot of speakers together and they're a fantastic resource uh, for that. And they do, they've done a great job of being able to put these um, one or two day courses together. And they're, right now they're, they're virtual because of COVID, but um, right. they've done these great courses that they put together and they're super informative where they talk about the neurocognitive side of things. And they talk about, you know, re, you know, the return to sport side of things and all sorts of stuff. So um, that's one place that I've definitely been able to learn a lot from is being able to leverage, um, you know, the, the programs that they put together. But a lot of it is just studying more strength and conditioning principles, because at the end of the day, when we get people past the initial stage of rehab, it, it's not rocket science. It is literally like periodized strength and conditioning and being able to actually get people stronger and stronger and stronger while you incorporate um, the principles that you know you need to work on from a proprioceptive standpoint, deceleration, uh, being able to have an improved rate of force development, all those things that we know we need to improve on. You just pair that with strength and conditioning. And I don't really don't think it's as hard as people think it is. Right. Well, and I think that's, that's it, right? It's not as hard as people, we overcomplicate the process and 
the old model for so long has been so time-based, right? Like, oh, you're at 16 weeks. Okay, cool. You can start running again. Sure you can, right? <laughs> like, but it's, and, and depending on whatever that person's program was, they have no idea where they're at. No. Right. And that, and that was sort of one of the things. I, and when I went back for my, what was that? That was my eight week. My, I went to my eight week post-op and he was like, so what have you been doing? The, the PA sign. He's like, so what have you been doing? Like, how's, how's rehab going? I go, it's going great, man. He goes, had any pain? I said, no, never have. Didn't use you guys, you know, didn't take any of your pain meds or anything. Cause I was, I'd been using the, the Mark pro. Yeah. I've been using Mark Pro and then blood restriction and things. And I said, yeah, I've it's eight weeks. I said, I started, I've been doing like empty barbell snatches. I've been doing some other things. You know, I'm curling right now about 10 to 15, almost 20 pounds. I said, I'm doing a lot of this stuff. I've started some sort of gentle assisted pull-ups. And dude, you should have seen his eyes. Like he was just like, What are you doing, dude? <laughs> he was like, he goes, you know, we don't want you to strengthen until like 12 weeks, right? And I go, yeah, it's it's not so mind blowing, man. I was like, yeah, I get that. Like, I understand that. I said, but here's the thing. Like I am exhibiting no pain whatsoever. I'm respecting the repair side. I'm, I I didn't start doing, I I wasn't stupid about it. Right. Like respected the repair spite, respected the physiology. I said, and, and I think there is a level of subjective subjectivity here that matters, right? Mm -hmm. Like how I feel, but also the objective, can I do it? Right. And if I can, and it's not hurting, then I probably should be able to continue that. For sure. Now, because, you know, joints and tendons crave load. And I think yeah. as long as you do it in a very graduated process, then I don't think there's any reason why you can't while still respecting the integrity and uh, maintaining the integrity of the repair. Yeah. And, and I think what he also didn't realize is I'd been doing, you know, blood flow restriction since day two post-op. Yeah, I'd been doing. Yeah. And then immediately when I started back in with actually being able to move and strengthen this arm, we, we went that route as well. Now I've seen you a lot. So you guys do strength measurements. Yes. Right. You do uh what is that? Who's the, what's the brand of you guys using the dynamometers? The tin deck, the tin deck. Okay. There was another one, right? The guy he makes, like he makes them. Is that the same one? There's a different guy that makes like the handheld, Dynamo. Oh, I'm not. The, I think this guy, his name's Scott Morrison, and he does. Um, I'm not sure if that's who you're talking about, but he does a great job of actually putting that out there, and he puts a lot of information out there for, for PTs to be able to use. Um, but he, I think he, I don't know if he makes them per se, but he, I think he partners with a company that does that that actually puts out some handheld dynamometers, and they're they're pretty cool. Yeah, uh, what's it called? Dang it, I. He was. Uh... Anyway, yeah, he's got some like handheld ones. I, is that so? Which one do you use that you hook up to the like? I see you hook it up to your rig or other stuff. Yeah, I mean, we use what the the brand that we use now. We used to use a like a crane scale that we just got off of Amazon that just measures the amount of load that's being um, pulled on it. But now we okay. use this tin the tin deck, and the tin deck is essentially, I think, from my understanding, it was designed for climbers to be able to measure strength through their grip and through their fingers. And so, what, what the way it works is like. It has an app. It has a little, a little um, thing inside of it where it actually we have an app that you can actually look at your um, the load that you're generating in real time, and then be able to see and it, it measures peak force and it measures the ability, and then you get to see kind of where you're at at a given moment in real time. And it's a nice little biofeedback tool to be able to show clients as they're doing it. But yeah. we literally just attach because you know obviously we would love to have a biodex 
and be able right. to actually do, do the standardized like isokinetic testing. Uh, but we just, again, it's, it's, it's cost prohibitive. It's, it's 50, 60,000 bucks in some cases yeah. to get it. It's just not, it's, it's too cost prohibitive. So this yeah, is a way for work. us to be able to, I remember, did I test people? Oh, good. I was saying, this is just our way of being able to isometric, isometrically test people at 90 degrees and at 60 degrees and at least get a feel for where they're at so that we can get an idea of like how much of a deficit is still there, at least isometrically, and then use other devices and other tests to be able to kind of try to put all the pieces together. Okay. And what other, like what other tests? And so, yeah. So what's some of your, not trying, I don't want to give away like, you know, anything proprietary that you got, but like, what is sort of like, so if somebody's describe the criteria going through the different phases of your guys's ACL progression. Yeah. So the first one is, is typically between the third and the fourth month is when we'll do our first battery of tests. And that's usually when we're getting somebody back to return to running and getting, and, you know, uh, starting to introduce that. Um, and what we want for return to running is we want somebody to be able to demonstrate at least 70, 70% limb symmetry between their right and their left side, uh, whatever it, you know, involved versus uninvolved. We want them to be able to do at least a minimum of 10 single leg squats on the involved side, smooth, good control, uh, up to about 90 degree knee bend. Uh, we usually use like an 18 inch bench height. We want, we want them, we've added this on our own, but we want them to be able to do 15 gastro or 25 gastro, 25 soleus raises um, with body weight and single leg. And then we want them okay. to be able to, uh, and then, and then of course we've already, we've already cleared them for range of motion. They have no swelling. Range of motion is pretty symmetric. Uh, and then pain levels are pretty minimal at that point. And then we've already in introduced it for at least three or four weeks before they get back to actually doing it. Okay. And that's kind of your first battery of testing. Yeah. And that's kind of how we make the decision to get back to running. But we want to make sure that again, you're not just using that even, even in this case where we're using time as a, as a, as part of the decision-making process, but at the same time, we're also using our, our outcomes measures to be able to make decisions. But we're all, but at the end of the day, we wouldn't just do that and just say, okay, go run. We're, we've been prepping them to get back to running for the last three or four weeks before that. Cause we want yeah. them to make sure they can decelerate. We want them to make sure they can tolerate that load. It's not a matter of just being able to demonstrate on test that you can do it. You got to be able to show good quality, uh, good, good ability to manage the loads that come along with it as well. Right. No, that makes, makes perfect sense. Yeah. I was, I have a patient right now. He's telling me, he's like, yeah, my wife has had three ACL surgeries on the same leg. It's, uh, it's unfortunately not an uncommon story. Right. Yeah. That, it's, it's, it's super common. And it's because they got, they went back to whatever it was without being strengthened properly. I, I mean, I think there are so many factors that go into it though, man. Like we, we try to put our finger on like one thing or this or that, like maybe it was bad rehab. Maybe it was just a sport that she, that this person played. Maybe it's this overall stress levels. The person has on a day-to-day -day basis. They have bad family relationships. Like there's a lot of stuff that goes into this. It's not just, I don't think we can ever just point to one thing which I think kind of like lends itself to the complexity of just humans in general, right? It's like sure. you just have a lot of stuff going on. And so I think that usually, yeah, underloading and and not the greatest rehab in the world is definitely usually a factor in cases like that. But I think sometimes right. in some cases it, it, it is that person and their ability to be able to find that that answer that works for them best. And, and a lot of times it's not easy to find that. Right. No, I agree with that. Um, and so ACL, so who's, I mean, I, I see... Who do you, who, who are your athletes predominantly where, what sports are they coming from predominantly? Yeah, we work with a lot of high school, college athletes, and we were, we were probably seeing the most with soccer is a big one. 
Um, and then we also see a lot of basketball as well. Okay. Um, and, and then just in general, we just see like a lot of weekend warriors. We see, I mean, it's kind of across the board to be honest with you, but I would say as a whole soccer is probably the biggest one, unfortunately. And it just, uh, we, you know, anytime that you're involved in cutting sports, changing direction sports, sports that require you to be able to like, you know, stop on a dime and change direction. It's, it's, it's tough. And they, they seem like they happen significantly more often there than anywhere else. Well, and I've also seen, it looks like you've, uh, started working with a lot more i've seen a lot more combat combat sports jujitsu in particular on your on your on your feed now are you do you do jujitsu i i don't myself i got connected with it with an athlete who's uh who's a high level jujitsu player uh or jujitsu athlete and um that, that yeah this kid's just a stud and um he you know being able to work with him and kind of learn more about things and, I, and a good friend of mine who also owns a gym um, out in this area, um, he connected us with some of his athletes as well. And so like, it just be kind of that, that if you want to talk about falling into something, we just kind of fell into that world, man. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's been amazing working with them and they are the most committed athletes that you'll ever work with. And you know, they, they, all they want to do is they just want to train. They want to compete. And it's, like, yeah. it's pretty cool to be able to work with athletes who are that dedicated to their craft. And it's helped me learn a lot about it. Um, it's a really cool sport to be involved with. And I would love to be able to get involved with it in some capacity as long as I don't get my ass kicked too much. Yeah. Right. Dude. It's so have, have you been to a class at all or anything like that? I've never been to anything myself. Like I've seen them, but I just haven't actually participated myself. Okay. Yeah. You got it. You got it. You got to go do a class. Cause no, you sure. got I, I definitely want to. <laughs> it is uh it is dude. I, so I did jujitsu. Um, Gosh, I trained at a Carlson Gracie junior school for like a year and a half. And dude, it's unreal. Like that sport, you that, that sport will a challenge your mobility. B it will also do teach you how to manage stress. Yeah. Like I've never been suffocated more <laughs> or felt totally helpless than than being in that and like if you spaz out you're gonna get wrecked real quick like i remember one time i was going with this guy rolling with this dude and it was like my first like month or so so i was still kind of like trying to like muscle everything right especially because this guy i probably had 40 pounds on this dude so i was like oh i'm gonna own i'm gonna own this guy right i i can just muscle him over this blue belt dude literally within like 20 to 30 seconds had choked me out with my own collar Like, and I'm just like, I wake up eyes up and I'm like, oh shoot, I went out. Okay. (laughs) From what I've heard from people too, like at the beginning is you sometimes have to learn the hard way that you just need to make sure you tap out. What's that? A lot of people have told me that early on in the process, you learn the hard way that you got to tap out pretty quick. Yeah. If you don't tap out, they will make you pay for it. Mm Mm-hmm. I, so, you know what? And I should have tapped out. I still have a little bit of, I think. I think I might have a small, um, not a complete tear, but I think I have a partial tear of my ACL. I think I may have had a partial tear of my ACL. Um, some dude was trying to, he really, he was about, he's same, same weight, but he was hell bent on getting a, on getting a, a heel lock on me and then an, or that, or a knee bar. He was trying to get one of the two on me Yeah, and I should have tapped out. Cause this jerk dude, he just straight up, wham, wrenched my leg. And I felt like a little, mm, and I went, okay. And ever since then, like my knee doesn't hurt, but dude, I'll get into like deep flexion 
and it's not a it's not a click or a pop. It is a funk. Yeah, that that's a that's a trip, man. Because like the the positions that they assume when you're on the mat is like nothing else. Like you will yeah. never in any other sport assume a position. I mean, and you're also in a sport that the other competitor is like literally trying to dislocate your elbow or dislocate yeah. your knee. That's that's the whole point is for them to get you to submit. And yeah. so, like, you, there's really not any other sports that it's so unique in that sense. But at the same time, like, it's been fun working with these athletes because, like, like I was saying, like, they assume these positions that no other sport assumes. And they're so non-traditional. They're all over the place. Their joints have to be able to withstand so much load and demand in both directions, whether it's super shortened or super lengthened. Like, it's really fun trying to come up with stuff to be able to help them get, like, as resilient as possible. Well, yeah. And, like, even mobile, right? Like, I realized I needed some extra mobility when I was trying to put somebody in a triangle choke. Like I don't have that kind of like rotation and stuff. I was like, crap, I need to work on that. Or when somebody's trying to put you in an omoplata or like a Kimura, right. Or an Americana and your arm, you're like, crap, I need more internal rotation. <laughs> and you'll want, you'll want to work on it real quick. Once you're put in one of those positions, man. Absolutely, man. Well, that's awesome. Uh, so I got to ask dude, and this is a little bit off the beaten path of uh, physical therapy. Are you really into Crocs, dude? I am. I'm a, I'm a Croc. I'm a Croc believer. I am. I'm. I'm one thousand percent Croc gig. Like I use. Like people used to wear them ironically, and now it's people are wearing them on un, just on. Un, how many pairs of Crocs do you own? I have three pairs of Crocs. So I have I have one for each of my offices. I have one at home. Okay. So you don't have like multiple, you don't have like my dress Crocs or like my, like, it's not, you're not like a, you're not like a, like a, I guess a Croc head, a sneaker head with Crocs. <laughs> no, like, I, I don't fall into that category. For me, it's like, like, I look, dude, I'm 40, man. For me, if I can be comfortable walking around at the office and, and, you know, sometimes I'm barefoot and in and so, and some cases like, you know, what the, the office I'm not here, I don't, I'm not as barefoot as often. And so I like having something that's easy to take off so I can demonstrate something real quick. And they're, they're comfortable as shit, man. They are really comfortable. I, I don't know if you, have you tried them? No, I, I almost, I, I don't want to try them because I don't want to love them. So here's the thing. If you're going to start off with them by the slides, they're they're everybody always says the regular Crocs are like they're ugly and they're this and that. And again, I don't, I don't, I'm not gonna go against that. They're not the best looking shoes in the world. But start off with the slides. They're literally like just wearing a pair of like Nike slides, but they're 1000 percent more comfortable than anything you will wear slides wise. All right. I might, I might, I might be willing to give the slides a try. I think where I draw the line is flare. I think I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to buy you a pair. I'm going to send you a pair and I'm going to, and I'm going to send you, I, and you know, I, we created our own charms. Oh, you so guys did. We have our own charms. Yes. Oh my gosh. It's, it's, the it's fact, the, it's the, the, flame. Fact, the fact that there's somebody, there's some company out there making custom croc charms is unreal. You want to talk about a rabbit hole? I went down a freaking rabbit hole trying to figure out where I can go to get these damn things made. And I finally found a place that did it. And I made, I made two charms. I made one with the, the flame logo and I made one that it's like a little knee and it's like uh, for our ACL or so anybody who has Crocs, that's an ACL that comes, comes through our doors and gets one of them. I love it. That's awesome. That's such a, you know what though? Like as much as I want to wreck on Crocs, like that actually is a really cool gift for yeah. people that have Crocs, right? Like that's a cool thing. Like does your PT have Croc charms? No, 
This one does though. I can safely say I'm probably one of the few that has my own croc charms, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'll let you decide. I, 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 I would venture to say there's probably nobody else <laughs> who has their own croc charms in the physical therapy world. Again, I'm going to, I'm going to take that as a positive, but I don't know if you meant it that way or not. So we'll see. No, no, absolutely. Dude, no, that again, sets you apart, man. The ACL <laughs> stuff sets you apart. The croc charm sets you apart. And so ignite, ignite is, is predominantly, you guys are cash, cash pay performance out of network fee for service physical mm-hmm. therapy right so we're essentially so, like a hybrid practice so we're cash and out of network for the most part okay so then how is so then is your so you just recently also started spark yeah now is spark is spark in network spark is in network and then obviously we we don't take every insurance under the sun so right now it's just the private insurances but spark is basically our way of being able to have options for people to get good quality care, regardless of what their insurance or their financial abilities are. So uh, right now, a lot of people are sort of pigeonholed into having to go somewhere that their insurance sends them to. And a lot of times these PD, I mean, you know, as well as I do, these PT practices that accept every insurance under the sun, they see four people an hour, they're seeing, you know, a bunch of people that come in at the same time, and they manage them all together. And it's not skilled care, it's not individualized care. I venture to, I venture to even, I don't even want to call it physical therapy sometimes with some of those horror stories I've heard. And so I feel like a lot of that is when you choose profits over people, that's what's going to happen. And you back yourself into a corner when your overhead's too high, you try to get too big too soon. They see, they seem to say that we don't, ha- we don't have a choice in the matter, but you do have a choice. You can do an in-network practice, make a profit, and still be able to provide good quality care. And that's kind of what I wanted to try to prove with Spark is that yeah. you can see, you can have the PT deliver all the care, see a couple people an hour, and still be able to provide really good skilled care in a gym setting without having to have crazy high overhead and still be able to give people what they need in an individualized manner. And that's what, what I want to do with Spark. So how many, yes, yeah, so then how many do you guys see an hour? So when, so Spark is, is basically as it grows, it's going to end up being one every 30 minutes with the PT delivering all the care. So we're not going to have any um, any aides delivering care. There may be somebody there that kind of helps with like cleanup and setting things up and things like that. But in terms of delivering the care, the PT is doing all the work. And we want it to be d- driven by the person who is billing for the billing for the services. We want it to be driven by the person who is actually there for the, that, that the person is actually there to see. Gotcha. Yeah, you could reasonably supervise two people and and get them mm-hmm. on stuff and and give them the individualized care. Once you once you start getting above that, it's like I remember, dude. I remember our aides supervising sometimes like six people at a time. Yeah, I mean, I still talk to people out here, and then they have like five therapists working in a place, and they are all sharing two aides, and they all have two or three people on their schedule each. So, I mean, you do the math five therapists seeing three people at a time is 15 patients with two aides. I mean, the math doesn't add up. Nobody's getting individualized care in, in that case. And, and honestly, like for people like you and I who are in the world that we're in, we don't need volume in order to be successful. We want people who, we want people who just want to get better and ha- that mm-hmm. have been not treated very well in the traditional model. And they want something different and they see the quality and they see the difference once they actually step into our doors. But at the end of the day, it's like these other places set the bar so low that we don't even have to do that much to, to beat what they're already providing people, you know? No, because I mean, I remember you worked in a big, like two, like three, four an hour three to four place, an hour, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I, I remember being a, like being a director 
still being tasked with seeing 75 to 100 people a week on top of my administrative duties and marketing. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I'd be working with somebody and all of a sudden I'm like, holy crap, this flow sheet hasn't been updated in four weeks. Mm -hmm. This guy's been coming two to three times a week. And because I'm so busy, this dude, and now I'm scrambling in 30 seconds to try and update this thing on the fly and hand yeah. it off to this high school or college kid who actually doesn't really care. He's on his way to something else. Do you know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. He's, just, yeah. he's like, all right, go ahead and do like those heel raises. And then he kind of looks and checks it off. And he's like, all right, you're doing cool. Oh, wait, let me check my Snapchat. Oh, it's just. Yeah. It, yeah. And you know, it wasn't uncommon for me at the last place I worked at to see a hundred people plus a week. That was not yeah. uncommon at all. And so like, the the as as much as we care and you, I mean I think each of us kind of knows the people that we are right like yeah. uh, as much as we care about our patients and as much as we tried there's you're you're basically you're just fighting a losing battle you know what I mean like you're constantly just treading water and you're trying to do your best and you're trying to provide the best care that you can in the in the confines of the model but it's just not it's not feasible to be able to do that and still be able to give individualized care I don't care what anybody says it is not no. individualized if you're seeing more than three people an hour or three people an hour at all it's not and then. No, it's not. And then on top of that, the massive mountain of notes that you have to do, and then you get home and you barely have enough time. And then it becomes after a while of that, it becomes really hard to be motivated mm -hmm. to, to give you your best effort every day. So Burnout, in that, burnout's a thing, yeah. Super, super real. So in that vein, where, where is the system back to the ACL stuff? Where are we failing ACL patients in this current model? I think the two biggest places are we are not loading them enough early on. So within the first like like six to eight weeks, I think we treat them like they're super fragile and we can't load them. And I think that goes along the lines of like not doing open chain stuff, even if it's unresisted stuff, like not getting the quads as beefed up as possible at the beginning. And then the second the second place that we're losing people is when they transition from discharge from therapy, where it's not like trying to get back to like living your life anymore, even though these are athletes we're talking about, it's when they go from that rehab setting to the gym or trying to get back to doing sports specific stuff, we lose them there. Like they don't know what to do. The patients like a lot of times don't know what to do when they go back to the gym. They don't know what they're allowed to do. They don't know how to do programming. Like they don't know anything. And they're not supposed to know that stuff. They're supposed to have guidance with this stuff. And so that's what we've seen a lot of is we get a lot of people that will come to us in that three to four month range where they're like, look, I, I'm terrified to go back to the gym. I don't want to do something I'm not supposed to do. I don't know how to get back to playing soccer again. I don't know what to do jumping wise. Like they have all these questions that have no answers. And a lot of the PTs in the, in the in-network model don't have answers to those questions. And so right. um, that's where I feel like we're losing them more than anything else is that transition back to the gym and that transition back to like, um, you know, sports specific type movements. So, yeah, no, I agree. I don't think we're loading people enough. And I think, well, and, and I guess, I guess this is always sort of the, the way it's goes, but I feel like at least the, 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 the surgeons that I know now in the area and that I know when I first started my career, there's this like transition right now between the old, old, old way of kind of the older way of doing things. And you have a couple new younger surgeons who are like, Hey, yeah, let's start let's move you guys along versus some of these other guys who are like, no, you guys should never like you guys need to hold off. It's all time-based. And so it's hard, right? You get these two different things. And I don't know about you, but you know, when I relied and you probably still, you might rely on surgeons, but like 
if I ever went outside of their protocol, I got an, a very angry phone call and made, yeah. and then my, and then my practice, my clinic that I was directing for the big company didn't get any more patients from that guy. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a, it's a, it's definitely a battle though. And like you find, there's a lot of surgeons doing really good work out there. We find, 100%. We found some, and we found some really good ones like locally here that are just awesome. They're advocates. They're, they're, they're on top of the literature. They're on top of the research. Like they're just rock stars. And those are the, those are the surgeons that we love working with because they, they care so much about their, about their patients. And yeah. Well, we still have, we still, every now and then we'll have a surgeon that doesn't want us to do open chain and, and respectfully, we may disagree with it, but we'll adhere to it. I mean, it is what it is, right? We're going to, yeah, we're not going to have, patient. we're not going to force somebody to do something that they're not comfortable with. And we're also not going to do something that's outside of what that surgeon wants, even if we may disagree with it and we may think there's a better way, you know, so right. there's, there's a, there's a way to tactfully go about it. But I think at the end of the day, like just have a conversation with them. 100%. Get an idea of where they're coming from. And I think that's where a lot of people, people don't want to, they don't want to be feel like they're being confrontational or anything like that. But a lot of times it's like all uh, the surgeons that I have the phone numbers for, or I can, I can message on, on Instagram, whatever it is. Like I ask them, I'm like, Hey, is it cool if we do this? Or, Hey, what do you think about this at this stage? And they're really good about giving really good, smart quality answers back. And um, the, the majority of the people we work with, the, the surgeries aren't the problem. The rehab is yeah. the problem. Right. The surgeries, they did their job. Their job is to get, that thing, to get that thing doing what it's supposed to do. It falls on us to be able to provide good, skilled, quality rehab to get them back to where they need to be. And we we haven't, the profession as a whole hasn't for no. a really long time. No, which not is, at all. Which, which is sad. Yeah. So you got a, you got a, do you have a 1030? I do. Yeah. Okay. So we'll uh, then, so where can everybody find you on the, on the socials and the, and the web and the interwebs? The interwebs. I love the interwebs. Uh, uh, so yeah, on Instagram, the handle is Ignite Physio. It's P-H-Y-Z-I-O. Um, that's probably the easiest place to get a hold of us. And then if you email, you can email us at ignitephysio at gmail.com. Those are the two the two best places to reach us at. But you know, I'm I'm the one that manages the social media. So if you have any questions from that standpoint, just hit us up there and happy to answer any questions that we can through through Instagram. Awesome, man. Well, dude Z, I appreciate you taking the time and uh Dude, I'm looking forward to seeing you and connecting. You going in September? Um, I don't think so. What? I know. What one of my jujitsu athletes is competing that same weekend. Okay. And so um, I'm gonna go. I think I'm gonna go with him to that. So unfortunately, I can't go in September. So I'm I'm really bummed about that. Um, okay. Well, then that even that even bumps up my timeline that I need to come out and see you guys and hang out for a week. Yes, I would do. I would love that, man. Hundred percent. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for being on. I'm going to hit pause now.